December. The Lord bless you as you give to his work this morning. Let's welcome Pastor Smith as he winds up our series on transformation. Thanks, Pastor Joe. Good morning, friends. Uh, we're going to, uh, as Pastor Joe mentioned, over the last couple of weeks, we've done this series on transformation. We've learned what our job is, and you've learned what my job is. And I want to be up front to say uh, this message is going to come with a challenge at the back end. So I don't know if you like challenges, if you're that personality that type that loves a good challenge. Well, I've got one for you today. Uh, and it's going to be to make some spiritual steps and some decisions, perhaps, in your life that will stretch you a little bit, because this is a message about engagement. Engagement with what God is doing in and among this community, and maybe even engagement with God and what He's longing or presently doing in your life. So we want you to be a part of what God's up to here. Uh, as, with that in mind, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Acts, if you would, the 16th chapter. In just a minute, one of our members is going to come and read uh, the portion of Scripture we're going to look at today. But the, the book of Acts was written by a man named Luke, and it's written to an individual called Theophilus. And Theophilus was an intellectually sophisticated individual. He lived in a complex time, much like the city of Montreal is very complex in terms of religion and, and society and culture and thought. And, uh, and this is written in that type of setting. And we're going to read verses uh, 13 uh, to 34 in just a moment. And we're going to see three characters that we're going to look at. Lydia is one of them. She's a businesswoman. She's kind of religious. Then we're going to look at uh, a slave girl who's oppressed, who uh, is very trapped in, in turmoil. And then we're going to look at a jailer who's really a practical kind of secular man. So uh, Angela Cicchetto is going to come, if she would, and she's going to read the portion of Scripture. I invite you to follow along in your copy of the Bible. But Acts chapter 16 starting at verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside to the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those women listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Fatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer, she said, come and stay at my home. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we, met, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became troubled, and he turned around to her and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. 
After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you and your you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family great portion of scripture and so our last message we're talking about uh, what's your job what's my job so what are we doing here do we just gather to feel good (laughs) Uh, I hope you do I hope there's encouragement that comes in gathering I hope that you feel encouraged in God Uh, but surely that's not all there is for us to do and so we look at three people here in the story first is a woman named Lydia let's talk a little bit about who she was she's a businesswoman Uh, Think of it this way. She's wealthy, very wealthy, probably has her own house, uh, very independently wealthy, the CEO of her company. In fact, it says in the text there that she was a trader of purple goods. Anyone wearing purple today? Put your hand up. You would have been very, very rich in that day. Uh, To be a trader in purple goods meant that she was a part of probably the fashion industry, luxury items that she would have dealt in. And we also learn that she's a religious person. Uh, she's religiously seeking God. In fact, it says in the text that she's a worshiper of God, which would have meant in that day and age that she was studying the, the Hebrew Bible and she was trying to understand the God of the Hebrews, even though she was a Gentile. She was not engaged in, in, uh, as a Hebrew, but she was engaging as a Gentile, trying and seeking after God. It says in verse, uh, ch- verse 13 that Paul goes down by the river and he meets with them and he begins to share God who Jesus is to them. So how does the gospel go to Lydia? The gospel goes to Lydia through a rational conversation. It's a rational conversation that Paul has. It says that he gave a message and she listened and she believed. Verse 14 says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. She had such a transforming experience on the basis of a rational conversation. That's how the gospel came to her through that conversation. She's so religious, she understands a lot about who God is. And Paul begins to fill in the blanks. And she's letting, letting her know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic, the Abrahamic covenant. That he's the fulfillment of the Mosaic law. That Jesus, the person, the human being, lived an absolutely imperfect life. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and spirit. And he loved his neighbor as he loved himself. And more, maybe even bigger than that is the fact that he was the Lamb of God. 
He was the savior of the universe. That he was the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, He earned the blessing of having lived a perfect life. But here's the beautiful thing about Christ. He gave us his blessing and we gave him our curse. And there's this transference that happens. This is the good news. You get all that God has and he'll take all that you have. And if you're here and you've never had that experience, that exchange, that's the greatest exchange every, any human being could ever be offered. You get grace and he'll take your judgment on himself, the wrath of God on himself. My curse is transferred to him and his blessings are transferred to me. And Jesus and Lydia responds to this message and she responds to the gospel because before that she was a religious person. And we see that the gospel, religious people need the gospel, friends, maybe more than others, because they think they're okay. They think they're all right. And they come to gatherings like this, and it's a bit of a cathartic experience, and, and they leave, but there's no transformation because religion always tries to work from the outside in, but the gospel works from the inside out. So all of a sudden, they don't look any different. I often think in life, I remember hearing this years ago. You've probably heard it. If I was on trial for being a Christian, I hope there'd be enough evidence to convict me. Because I've been so transformed from the inside out that the way I do life is so different than the people that I rub shoulders with every day. Why? Because Christ has ignited something in my life that has changed it. See, for religious people, and for Lydia, God is useful. God is useful in this, um, in this way. If you do this, 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 God will give you this. And for some people, that's how they see God. God is useful. But in this amazing moment, and in true Christianity, God isn't useful. He's beautiful. He's beautiful. Uh, Lydia had a God who was useful. And on that day when she put her faith and trust in Jesus, she found a God who was beautiful. And friends, it makes all the difference in the world. All of a sudden, it's obedience, not built out of some sort of what can I get out of this piece. It's obedience that's built out of the beauty of God, the wonder of God. The psalmist, David, would say this, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. You know how you magnify God and exalt God in your eyes? by reading his word, by orientating your life around him. And all of a sudden you get a glimpse of how awesome and beautiful God is and it changes everything. Now what's interesting though about Lydia, before she came to experience the gospel, she, she wasn't committing adultery. She was honoring her father and mother. She was keeping the Sabbath. She was doing a lot of good things already because she was a religiously moral person. After she experienced the gospel, did her lifestyle change? Probably not a lot. She probably still didn't commit adultery, and she probably still honored her father and mother. She probably still kept the Sabbath. But everything changed for her because the fuel changes. It's no longer about getting. It becomes about giving. Everything gets turned upside down when you get captivated by the beauty of God. And the be- not just the usefulness of God. So she comes to God through a rational conversation. And there may be some of you here today, that's how you need to approach God. Maybe you need somebody to approach you that way. But it's not just Lydia in the text. We hear about a slave girl. And she couldn't be more different than Lydia. She's not rich. Lydia is rich. <laughs> 
She's not religious. In fact, she's so irreligious, she's demon-possessed, it says in the text here. She's possessed by an evil spirit. She's completely powerless. She's exploited by other individuals. She couldn't be more different than Lydia in the text here. And it's kind of hard to say what's going on in her heart, but we know this. She's hounding Paul and Silas, and she's declaring as they walk through the city, these men are servants of the Most High. They are telling you the way to be saved. Isn't it interesting? She's in turmoil, but she knows truth. Isn't that interesting? She knows truth, yet she's the one that's most troubled. Now, the truth sets you free. What's going on here? Well, she's like some people in life. They know elements of the truth, but they've never come to a place of being freed. And so freedom is what God has for each of us. This girl is in spiritual turmoil. If you think of Lydia living somewhere, I don't know what's the most posh place in Montreal. What would it be? Westmount. Everybody says Westmount. <laughs> okay, she's from Westmount. She's got her own business. She's independently wealthy. Think of the slave girl coming from the other side of the tracks. She's got nothing. She's got nothing. She not only has nothing, she's in deficit because she's imprisoned. She's being exploited. She's being used. So how does the gospel come to her? Would a rational conversation be the way for the gospel to come to her? Not when you can barely breathe. You know what it is? It's a power encounter. It is the power of God freeing her that brings her to the gospel. And what's interesting here is she has not only a demonic master, you notice she has human masters. She's not only oppressed and possessed psychologically and emotionally and spiritually, she's also economically and socially depressed and oppressed. She's a victim of social injustice. But here's what's interesting. When the gospel comes to her, she's liberated the whole way around. She's liberated psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, but she's also liberated from her oppressors because she's no longer any good to them. She had this clairvoyant gift from being demon-possessed. She could tell people's fortunes. And once she was freed from this evil spirit, she could no longer tell people's fortunes, so she was useless to her handlers. And so this slave girl is set free. You know, what she realizes is she needed the power of God to come to her to free her on a 360 all the way around. There's this author named Robert Lithicum, and he wrote... Uh, a book a number of years ago about his work in the inner city area of New York City, very oppressed. And uh, he was working with a teenager named Eva. And I wanted to read a little bit of this to you. So I was working among teenagers in a government housing project in a major city. One of the youth began to actively participate in our Bible studies, became a new Christian. Her name was Eva. And he says she was an exceptionally beautiful teenager. Just before I was to leave, and he was going on vacation for the summer, my, my teenage parish, he called it, Eva came to me greatly troubled. She said, Bob, I'm under terrible pressure, and I don't know what to do about it. There's a powerful gang of men in this project, and they recruit girls to be prostitutes. They're trying to force me to join them. Bob says, I didn't know what to say to Eva. All I could think to say was, resist the devil, and he will flee. 
Commit your ways unto the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And he says, I urged her to stick with the Bible study. Resist these, the, this gang, these, these demands of the gang. And then he left for a vacation. He came back later and he returned. Eva had stopped attending the Bible study. And he said, I feared the most. And I went to her apartment to find her. And I knocked on the door. Eva answered the door. And when she saw me, she burst into tears. They got me, Bob. I've become one of their prostitutes. And he said, Eva, how could you give in? Unsympathetically. How could you give in? Why didn't you resist? And she said, I did resist. And then she, they beat up my father. And then they, then they broke my brother's legs. And then they went and said they would threaten to go after my mother. So I did give in. But Eva, Bob said, why, didn't you let, why did you let them intimidate you? Why didn't you go to the authorities? Why didn't you go to the police? Bob, Eva said, almost in disgust, who do you think runs the gang? And Bob says in his book, I understood at that moment that the gospel isn't just words being declared. There's an element of us being a part of truth in society, freeing people from unjust social systems. Listen, you can say God loves you to people, but if they can't breathe, if they have no hope to educate their kids, if they're trapped in a cycle of poverty or addiction or anything, it can't be just God loves you. It needs to be God loves you and we need to get attacking these social injustices. We need to address issues in society and culture. Why? Because I know this. When you feed someone, their ears are bigger. When you love someone truly by caring for the things that they matter most in their life, all of a sudden their hearts are wider open. The gospel doesn't come to her through some rational discourse. It comes in power. Just power. Some people minimize the gospel to a Sunday school story. Oh, my friends, it's powerful. It sets captives free, not just spiritually, but their entire life. And then there's a jailer. It's a man. Even a man can come to Christ. Only one, but there's one man who can come to Christ here, and his name, he's a jailer. And we know about him. He's probably most certainly a Roman soldier, because in that ancient culture, retired Roman soldiers would take the place of civil servants because they were cushy jobs. After they had served, they would get to have those roles. And he's a, he's a jailer. He's not the success that Lydia is, but he's not the mess that the, that the uh, uh, slave girl is. He's somewhere in between. If you're to think of this man, he's he probably not looking for some emotional encounter with God. He's not looking for some rational discourse about God because he's just not interested. I'm okay. Think of him as just being a practical man. He's just a practical man. I'm okay. I'm not that interested in God. Why would I need it? I'm okay. Nothing's really bad. Nothing's really awesome, but it's okay. And he's sort of this practical man that really shows no evidence of any spiritual interest. Lydia is seeking God. And Paul goes to Lydia. Isn't that interesting? Paul brings the gospel to Lydia. Paul brings the gospel to the slave girl. But the jailer has to come to Paul. When someone is disinterested in the gospel, you don't go and tell them. You go and show them. It's not your words. It's showing it 
And they show it by what they see. This jailer sees two men that are absolutely different than him. They're dramatically different, and this is what attracts them, what attracts this jailer to the gospel. Look, look, look at the ways that they're different. First, he sees a difference in their attitude towards suffering. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, friends, they've been beaten within an inch of their life with rods. And it, the text sometimes doesn't show how messy it was. They would have been oozing blood. It is not a pretty sight. And they're brought to the jail, and this jailer just puts them in stocks. He's callous. He doesn't care. Why? He's doing his job. He's a practical ex-military man. He's just doing his duty. He's doing his job. And in the middle of this, he begins to hear them praising amidst the suffering. There's a joy that's so deep in them, friends, that you could take their money, you could take their freedom, you could take their comfort, You can threaten to even take their life, but you can't get at their joy. It's so deeply, they're so deep in the gospel now. Friends, I'm going to say this at the end of the message, but I'll say it now. The gospel is not an entry point, and then you move on. You grow deeper into the gospel the longer you're in Christ. You should be. And these men have been so deep in the gospel, they have a joy that resonates inside of them that nobody can get. Nobody can rob and nobody can take. Who's in charge really there? Who's the powerful men in the jail there? Was the guys you can't take anything away from them. And Paul and Silas, they begin to sing. I mean, friends, honestly, we look at the story and we think they should be medicated, right? You know, nobody should be joyful given those circumstances. But they've tapped into something so great. The God of the universe. the, The joy giver. The fountain of joy. And then a second thing happens. A great earthquake happens. The, the, the doors swing open. And the jailer fears that, that the prisoners have all gone. And in that culture and day and age, if you were a jailer or a guard and one of the prisoners escaped, you were executed. So he thinks, I'll just lean on my sword. Because he's an honorable military ex-man. He's practical. And he realizes I'm going to die anyways. One, they drag me out in front of everybody. And my family's humiliated it. This way I go quietly. And in the midst of this, he hears Paul yell out, hey, don't do it. We're all here. And here's the second thing he sees in Paul and Silas. They repay evil for good. I mean, he didn't bind up their wounds. He locked them in stocks. He didn't care at all about them. And yet, when they're imprisoned, and in this moment, and in this place where the jailer could lose his life, Paul and Silas stopped the other prisoners from leaving. He says, we're all here. And the jailer brings the torches in to see where they all are, and they're confronted with the fact that they didn't return evil for good because Paul and Silas knew they had a model in Jesus who, while they were killing him, he said, forgive them. Isn't that amazing? Forgive these people who are killing me right now. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand what they're doing. And here they are, overcoming evil with good. The reason they didn't and wouldn't take their freedom is it would cost the jailer his life. Because they already have their freedom. It cost Jesus his. And now they're free. This is a practical man. And when he saw the gospel, when he he saw the gospel change people like that, He comes to Paul and Silas, kneels at their feet and says, 
you have something I don't. Lydia got words. She got a rational conversation. The slave girl got a power encounter that set her free. This guy gets a glimpse of two lives that are so diametrically different than his that he can't help but want what they have. Uh, you know, honestly, I fear, I fear for many of us in this room, but you know, I fear for my own life sometimes when I think of it this way. Is my life that different from the people that I live around? Is it that different from the people I rub shoulders with that maybe a practical man like this might say, show me that gospel because I see what's going on in your life. I want that. I want that. Rudyard Kipling, uh, for all you literary types in this room, maybe you know the uh, great author. In the the 30s or the 20s, he uh, he spoke at the convocation at McGill University. And he said this to all of the graduates that day. He warned them about being preoccupied with glory and money and power and position because he said this, someday you'll meet a man who cares for none of these things. Then you'll know how poor you really are. This practical man is confronted with two men that those things meant nothing to them. And all of a sudden he saw his poverty of spirit and he responds to the good news. Isn't that incredible? Incredible what happens there. The jailer meets two men whose character is so different. Lydia gets words. She's religious, but the religious need the gospel because they're dead in their religion. The oppressed slave girl gets freed by the power of the gospel. And there are people who are oppressed. They need freedom that comes from God's power. And then we see the jailer, a practical man, and and he needs to be shown the gospel. What does this tell us? Because we're saying, the message today is, so what are we doing here? Well, what is a priority in this church is the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, what this tells us is the gospel is for everyone, isn't it? It's not just for the religious types, because the religious types do need it. It's not just for certain racial types, because we see three different races here. That Lydia is from Thyatira, which would have been Middle Eastern. The jailer was European from Rome. And the slave girl, we're not sure where she was from, but likely three different uh, even races here. So as a church, we declare and practice and live the gospel for every culture, male and female, uh, all alike and equally. And that brings us to the the second thing the gospel does, is the gospel is unifying. You know what's interesting in Jewish culture? Pharisees in that day had a prayer they would say every morning. Very controversial prayer. Uh, and Paul would have said it every morning because he was a great Pharisee. He would have said it every morning before he encountered Jesus. This was the prayer. Don't get mad at me, ladies. Oh, Lord God, I thank thee that you did not make me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Every morning, a Pharisee, male, obviously Pharisees couldn't be women, would say that prayer. O Lord, I thank thee that you did not make me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. And Paul, being a good Pharisee, would have for years said those three things. Who are the first three saved in the church in Philippi? A woman, a slave, and a Gentile. What happened? The gospel happened to Paul. And Paul would later write, there's neither male nor female, Greek nor Jew, slave or free. We are all one in Christ. 
That's what the gospel does. So on Friday night, I got to be a part of maybe one of the most moving things I've ever been a part of at Evangel in the six years I've been here. Uh, It was a difficult night because it was hard for me to contain myself. Hard for me to contain myself right now. As we baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit who are declaring their faith in Jesus Christ, I wish I, wish I could share their testimonies with you because those testimonies just... Uh, those of you who are here, and I see some of the people who are baptized are here this morning, but those of you who were there that night, you know you felt it too. This is what we are all about as a church. Watch the center screen. a taste. Man, I'm all about that. Because I know this about the gospel, friends. He doesn't save us to move beyond it. He leads us deeper into it. No Christian should ever, I think, grow tired of hearing these words, it is finished. There's a banner over your life that Christ declares daily, It is finished. Old things are gone. New things are now here. The sins have been forgiven. You've been washed and cleansed. It is finished. Jesus said in his personal mission statement in Luke chapter 4, he said, I've come to set captives free, right? That begs the question, free from what, right? Well, free from the pressure of having to rescue ourselves. Free from the stress of trying to make it on our own all the time. Free from the burden of trying to be all right all of the time. Free from the pressure of trying to measure up. You ever feel like you can't quite measure up? Free from trying to fix ourselves. And how about this? Free from trying to fix others. Because that's exhausting. He came to relieve us of the burden to get ahead, to be on top of everything. He came to set us free came to set us free. The gospel of grace says that Jesus came to satisfy the deep judgment against us once and for all. Friends, you may not understand the Bible. Maybe you've never even fully read it. Uh, I would recommend you do. 
But here's the Coles Note version from Genesis to Revelations. God's demand, be perfect. God's diagnosis, you're not. God's deliverance, Jesus was for you. He takes your curse and he gives you his blessing. We sing a song sometimes, I surrender all, but we can't do that. If we were indeed able to surrender all, you'd be perfect. But here's the thing, Jesus did that. He surrendered all of him so that you could have all of him. So what are we doing here? Trying to live this out. In 2014, in Montreal, many different generations and cultures in a complex society that has many ideologies, we're trying to live out the gospel. So those who are like Lydia that are religious and we engage with rational dialogue because that's how they'll come to Christ. And those who are oppressed and in turmoil, they need to experience the power of God. And we believe in the power of God that's even present in this room to set captives free. We believe that. But like the jailer, we also believe that we are to go and be salt and light and to show the gospel. That our lives are so transformed that we look more and more like Jesus each day. So uh, I told you I'd challenge you. I'm going to challenge you now. Uh, We're going to close our service in just a moment. I'm going to invite all the elders in the room and maybe some of our leadership team and others to be available at the front because some of you, you might be a Lydia today. Maybe you recognize I'm a pretty religious person, but I need transformation from the inside out. You know what religion will do? It'll exhaust you, friends, because you'll never measure up in religion. Some of you in this room hate religion. Some of you may even be here because somebody dragged you here. (laughs) Listen, uh, uh, you're in a church that struggles with it also because we've seen many things done in the name of God that have been terrible in this world. But I want you to remember and distinguish the difference between religion and relationship with Jesus. Ah, this is not what Jesus does. Jesus sets people free. He doesn't doesn't control them. He releases them. It's incredible. You know what's interesting? I was thinking about it this week. I was thinking about uh, some of the pastors you see on a Sunday morning, Pastor Bill, Pastor Joe, and myself. And I was thinking, boy, we've had such different journeys to Christ. Pastor Bill was an altar boy in the Catholic Church and grew up that way. For him, it was just a religion thing. Uh, Pastor Joe was a, a Jewish family, Hebrew family, and, and he found Christ in his early 20s, quite marvelous transformation. I was a skeptic. I grew up in the church and I left it because it was all about the emotions and nobody was willing to even answer any of my questions. And I felt like, well, if, if you're not thinking this through, how, how, do, how can I believe it? I realized maybe even all three of us would say we all came to God a little bit differently. But that's how beautiful the gospel is. <laughs> there, there's this door that's open that Christ opens for each of us and he walk, bids us to come and walk through. So if you're here and, and you want to say, I want to talk to someone because you might be saying, I need some rational conversation today. Some of you might say, I need to, I need, I, I've been looking at people and I've not seen the gospel lived out. Others, you might say, listen, I'm oppressed right now and I need the power of God to free me. Well, when we close the service, you find one of these elders and they're not, oh, they would want you to know we're, they're here only because they've, been, they've experienced the power of the gospel and God set them free. 
They're not perfect. None of us are. If you're looking for a perfect church, you've got to keep looking because we will disappoint you so many times because we're a church filled with imperfect people and it starts right with me. But we just are crazy enough to believe that maybe what God writes is true and that his power is real today and that there's no life that he can't change. So I'm going to challenge you to respond to that. Some of you, I want you to challenge you to say, maybe you're already in the gospel. I'm going to challenge you to get involved, though. Roll up your sleeves and do something to be salt and light in this community. Come alongside us and, and strengthen what God wants to do in this city through us together. Uh, on the way out, if you're not a part of Reimagine, this thing we're doing in this city and around the world to expand the, uh, the message of Christ, you know, on the way out, just indicate to one of our ushers and they'll give you a booklet. Because I want to invite you to participate in that with us. We're in this together. Father, I thank you, God, for these great people. Lord, we remember today we are one church. We're two different languages. We're, we're in three locations and we have four services. And God, we just bless uh, those who gather at the campus in the east end of the city. Those who came at the 9 a.m., those who are at the 10 a.m. at the lighthouse. And those who are gathered in this room, I thank you for them, Lord. Every life is so valuable. So valuable that you would put the high cost of your son for them. Lord, may that we be a church that never gets bored of the gospel. <laughs> the fact that Jesus came and lived the perfect life. And he died the death that we should have died. And he took the penalty for sin on himself that we should have incurred. And then he rose from the grave and he broke the back of sin and death forever. And God, we don't want to ever, we want to be amazed by that forever. And Father, I pray, God, that we as a church, would, this would be our focal point. This would be our declaration. You said you came to set captives free. And we want to be a part of your work. Lord, I bless your people now in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everybody said, amen. We love you, church. Start our Christmas series next week. Come down, find one of these altars, uh, one of these elders to, to pray with you this morning. You might even just have another need in your life and you just want someone to pray with you today. They're available and here and willing to spend some time with you. God bless you. We love you.